This is the Executive Dad Podcast. Executive Dad helps working fathers, their families, and their employers to understand what's preventing men from feeling fully fulfilled at home and at work. Executive Dad helps men balance their own needs with what their families and organizations need. Executive Dad builds community. I'm Kenyatta Meadows, and you are essential. Thank you for sharing this podcast and subscribing. This is the Executive Dad Podcast. Executive Dad helps working fathers, their families, and their employers to understand what's preventing men from feeling fully fulfilled at home and at work. Executive Dad helps men balance their own needs with what their families and organizations need. Executive Dad builds community. I'm Kenyatta Meadows, and you are essential. Thank you for sharing this podcast and subscribing. In this episode, we'll discuss balance and why how we often think about it is limited and unhelpful, especially as it relates to the idea of so-called work-life balance. We'll discuss how we should think about it to help us determine what really should be done to pursue balance or simply to maintain it. Balance, after all, is fundamental to what's being pursued with this podcast. I recently saw a video on YouTube called A Mind-Blowing Explanation of Symmetry, which was only about seven minutes long. Early on, the researcher being interviewed mentioned how, if you rotate a circle, the points on the circle would change, but the circle itself would remain in the same way that a record or disc would spin with the various points on it moving, changing their orientation, but with the shape and the position of the circle remaining unchanged. As he spoke about the beauty of that idea and of symmetry itself and all of the manifestations in nature, and while circles and other spinning round objects are obviously not people, I did wonder if remaining essentially unchanged in this symmetrical way could work for us, and how it could potentially relate to the three pillars of executive dad, work life, home life, and the relationship with self, and the pursuit of balance overall. I further wondered whether such symmetry in life is possible or even desirable. Do we even want to be an unchanging entity? It is, after all, imbalance that leads to momentum, which very much is the way that pistons in an engine pump by shifting weight back and forth. Pedaling a bicycle relies equally on the imbalance of pressure being applied to the left pedal as it does to the right, then the left again, in a prolonged cycle while the rider maintains balance to keep the machine or instrument in the form of the bicycle upright. If you ever watch professional riders sprinting towards the finish line, you will see an incredible amount of wobbling under the power of that momentum, left, then right, then left, and right again. But you will also not often see the riders fall. You will see an overall sense of balance, an accommodation for all that wobbling that is actually just a subset of the whole experience or exercise. So it's as if this subset of imbalance, this rocking left and right, fuels balance with the right training, mechanisms or machines, an approach to moving forward with the right or a broader perspective. But even if one of the riders was to truly lose their balance and tumble, they quickly get up again, mount their bicycle and carry on driving their wobbly imbalance to move forward in an overall balanced way. In fact, Moving forward is what helps to maintain balance in a kind of averaging out of all their various movements, whereas to stand still in almost any of those positions would not allow the rider to stay upright without additional support, for example, by putting their foot down or leaning on something or someone else. 
To take this further, not only do riders sometimes fall on their own, but they often collide or fall over one another. In other words, the overall dance of imbalance and balance is not limited to only one rider pedaling left and right, as if they were a solitary planet that rotates on its own tilted axis while orbiting on a path around the sun. Instead, riders all come together as planets in a constellation or system, each with their independent movements and their own moons that must somehow maintain balance as a part of something larger than themselves. Whatever you have going on that is creating momentary or specific imbalance that needs to be managed now comes into contact with others around you, and not just others, but with their own struggles to contain their own wobbly orbit. This is not a problem when you're all speeding along in the same direction and according to the plan, even if it's at different rates of speed or personal satisfaction. But when you collide or cut one another off at work or at home, then how do you disentangle and re-engage? Do you just sit there squabbling, complaining and licking your wounds, or holding them out for others to see how you've been wounded? Hopefully not, because that's a useless endeavor, at least in the long run. It may be a part of your overall rebalancing process, but clearly, you don't want to stay out of balance permanently or for even too long. When discussing balance, it is also helpful to keep in mind that what balance is for me isn't what balance is for you, and what balance is today isn't what balance is tomorrow. Balance is unique to the individual and to the point in time. In fact, balance itself may be a very small point in time or a precise point on a spectrum or within a range, just as when a pendulum is swinging from one side of the range to the other. At some point, it is perfectly equidistant between the two points, but that is not a stable or permanent state. It's a transitory state as the pendulum is in motion and continues moving through the point of, of perfect balance towards other points of imbalance, back and forth. In fact, the pendulum spends the vast majority of its time out of balance relative to that one specific point of equilibrium, just like a seesaw spends most of its time out of perfect balance. However, like a seesaw, the pendulum is constantly in the act of balancing and rebalancing itself in much the same way that a driver has to constantly adjust the steering wheel left then right, or maybe in more of the same direction, just to keep going straight. Staying on the right path requires constant modification, which is, in effect, rebalancing. So, balance is not a solitary state, and it is certainly not one that simply happens, or even happens to us. It is a state or a point that, in many ways, is constantly fleeting, but one that we must constantly pursue. I find it helpful to think of the entire process as part of what it means to be balanced or to have balance, not just a single point of reference. Now, while this is good to know whenever you can remember, probably won't make you feel much better in all those moments when you're feeling or actually are off-center. When work seems to be taking up too much time, for example, and when you're receiving complaints or even feeling frustrated with yourself around how you're managing your time. Oh, well. At various points, your colleagues, partners, and children may also have opinions of how or why you may not appear to be in balance. Just keep in mind that that's also part of the process. Some of their comments will be useful, very useful. Others of those comments should be politely and probably quietly ignored, but in no way should it be destabilizing, especially if their view and understanding of what balance is is not as broad as what we're discussing here. 
If you find yourself stuck with a particularly active backseat driver, shall we say, maybe just send them this episode. So far, what have we concluded? Well, I would say two things. One, that exact balance is impermanent, even fleeting. And two, that balance may actually be the average of imbalance of all the various points around the point of balance or the bottom of the pendulum swing. In other words, controlling the range and not allowing the pendulum to swing too far out or too violently also contributes to balance. I'm sure that you can think of several applications to your life at work and at home, even to the ways in which you relate to yourself or fail to. In short, balance being the average of imbalance is a matter of perspective and one that probably requires an expanded lens. But you may not want to expand your lens all the time to think globally, and in many instances, maybe you shouldn't have to. However, how far out you have to go to look for balance, how many months in the calendar or how many raise and promotion cycles you have to pan out may be the useful information you need to determine whether or not to allow the pendulum to continue to swing uninterrupted, to allow the process to continue to move forward uninterrupted. This requires a combination of foresight and patience, neither of which you may have on your own. This is where a study of history, conversations with mentors, family and friends, self-examination and reflection, and clear communication from you all come in. What about our job specifically, and how would we know if we're fairly evaluating what's working for us and what isn't? In our work life especially, we or our teams may complain when the projects run over or when we're short-staffed or when more requirements are added to be delivered in the same or even in a shorter amount of time. People often complain about work-life balance and how unfair things are, but this is most often the case when things are at their most challenging. However, there is a very high likelihood that their jobs also have some periods of reprieve, even if they do feel short or insufficient, which they very well could be. But when we account for holidays and personal days and easy days and conference days and retreats and goodbye lunches, the pendulum does swing in the other direction to some extent. Their jobs probably also provide many protections and privileges. If you were to get physically sick or mentally and emotionally ill, if you have a child or if someone dies, there is probably no fear that you will lose your job or suffer dire consequences for not being there at those difficult times in your life. We take a lot of this for granted, but clearly this isn't the norm everywhere and possibly not even in most places when we consider the population of people working all around the world. When we think about the distribution of what most people in the world do for work in terms of manual labor and subsistence related to work in factories, mines, fields, and other service-driven elements of the global ecosystem, including retail, which is the most common job in many places, including America, we quickly come to appreciate what's at stake or what is on offer to us. What it means to have balance as knowledge workers in largely developed countries or even as skilled workers in un- or underdeveloped countries, we enjoy a lot more privileges and protections. As a result, you may reasonably conclude that for a few late nights or weekends and some elevated stress, maybe however much you make doing whatever it is that you do in relative comfort and with critical protections may not be such a bad deal. And since money is generally exchanged at the point of agreement between buyers and sellers and service providers like yourself, It's not unreasonable to include money in the equation of balance, 
even if it feels a bit crass to reduce your emotional and intellectual arguments for more, down to that. People who have certain levels of income based on the levels of their responsibility may be expected to make certain accommodations. Conversely, they may also enjoy certain flexibilities. But that's what makes it hard to navigate balance. For example, in my case, the whole discussion about whether I would or wouldn't take paternity leave. I think I've been clear in what my decision was and what my process was in the pursuit of that balance, but it certainly wasn't easy. But when has balancing anything ever been easy, especially to begin with? That's also not to suggest that we should simply accept exceedingly stressful or otherwise damaging conditions in our current situations, or accept whatever pay and circumstances people want to throw our way. The point here isn't that we have no right to complain about anything or that there's no way that you're actually out of balance at work, or even that the money and benefits aren't enough. But the point is that how we think about balance is often too narrow and itself unbalanced. That to truly and adequately evaluate balance, we need to have a bigger and more balanced distribution of elements that we're considering, not just hours in the week for a few weeks, for example. To illustrate this point, with a fair two-sided coin, We expect an even distribution of heads and tails over any number of flips. However, in reality, you might flip the same coin 10 times and get 8 tails, which is the coin seeming to favor one side 80% of the time. But with 100 or 1,000 flips, you're likely to find a distribution that more closely corresponds with the law of averages and the expected 50-50 split. I looked up various articles, academic studies, Guinness World Records, and videos on coin flipping, and concluded in short that none of it was probably worth my time, and was probably more of a distraction than anything, but ultimately the point stands. So in summary, some degree of imbalance isn't only normal, but it's inevitable, and also necessary to move forward. Especially as we step into areas that are unknown or that contain unknown levels of risk. The act of learning and growing is inherently imbalanced and asymmetrical. Besides learning and growth, we also like asymmetrical upsides in investing, for example. Even in art and architecture that I love so much, symmetry and balance can be achieved in less than obvious ways or not achieved at all, which further contributes to beauty and desirability. Symmetry is often beautiful, but is not necessary for beauty, and in fact does not guarantee it. There's also often a lack of symmetry in the pursuit of balance, just as we would not expect symmetry and balance in all of life, even a life well-lived. Some of the world's greatest inventors, most savvy business people, and most talented entertainers lived lives seemingly out of balance. We also discussed how in thinking about our own balance, we have to consider the balance of others within our orbit, not only to be supportive, but to account for their impact on us also to manage the nature of our impact on them and others to make that as additive and positive as possible. This is also why it's critical to manage circumstances and people who are destabilizing and who are constantly a counterweight to balance and to progress. Releasing them may feel or even be unbalancing for a time, but not in the long run. And finally, in order to achieve balance, we will probably need a broader and deeper population of coin flips in life that's not limited to a small number of observations or a narrow perspective on them. To know whether we have work-life balance, we should not focus only on the difficult project or period 
and should not limit the way we measure success, since success is not measured only by the number of hours we work or don't work, but by the quality of the experience and the lives we're able to lead as a result of our work and relationships, in addition, of course, to the lives that we're able to impact. In thinking about impacting lives, concepts like utilitarianism, which relates to making decisions that produce the greatest good for the greatest number of people, and martyrdom, which is where an individual sacrifices themselves for a noble cause that's intended to improve the lives of others, also came to mind. A martyr, for example, may be such a heavyweight that while their life may seem out of balance and may be focused on only one pursuit, they may be able to provide a counterweight and proper balance to many others around them and those who come behind them. It begs a question that I often consider. If a person has a gift or a talent, how much and how hard should they work to exploit it for the benefit of others, beyond the obvious benefit to themselves? In such an instance, what is balance, and how does one reconcile or prioritize the various definitions and perspectives? Undoubtedly, this is a question that many of you have also faced and may even be currently wrestling. You may ask yourselves, how much of a nest egg should I build to make the lives of my children comfortable and to set them on a more steady footing in life? And how much do I want to donate to the causes that I really care about to meaningfully support those in need? To what extent am I willing to make decisions that result in the greatest good for the greatest number, though it may very well be at my own expense? To what extent am I willing to be a martyr? Am I being selfish or selfless? To what extent am I using any of this as an excuse for imbalance, simply because I am unwilling to do the work or to even ask the hard questions or to absorb the hard feedback? In any event, symmetry may be perceived from many angles and in many ways, just as to comprehend and to achieve balance requires a balanced perspective, in addition to constant questioning, challenge, and adjustment. Balance is unique to the individual and to ever-changing points in time, to ever-changing positions of a pendulum in a ticking clock. Executive Dad is community, but you can't have community without unity, and you can't have unity without unity.